Thank you, everybody. Let's be seated. We do a little bit shorter worship time on communion Sundays and take a little bit more time at the end of the uh, end of the service for uh, worship as well. So we're going to move into um, a time of the word. Before we do that, let's let's take some time to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, that we can be thankful. As we move into this time of Thanksgiving, this month of November, I pray, God, that you would remind us constantly who you are, what you've done for us as individuals, as families, as, as a state, as a nation, all of the things that we have to be grateful for. And uh, Father, we want to pray today being the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. God, there are people all over this world who don't have the freedoms that we have and that we're thankful for, that, that just do not have that. We just pray for the church, Lord. We think specifically about North Korea, where they take boats into the middle of a river and pretend to fish so that they can actually open their Bible and read and have a Bible study. And it's at the risk of great persecution that they do that. We just pray, God, for the persecuted church. Let us not take it for granted. And we just pray, God, for that day and look forward to that day when there's freedom in all parts of this world to do that. Father, we want to pray for the families of the Girl Scouts who lost their lives this, this week. God, we know that, that it's beyond our comprehension to know or understand events, Lord, but we know that you, God, are sovereign and you are in control. We pray for your comfort. We pray that you, God, would show yourself faithful, that, that we would not turn in bitterness or hatred, but that we would turn in graciousness to the living God who loves us and gave his life for us. We also want to pray, Lord Jesus, for uh, Pastor Dan Bickle and his family, Lord Dan, who lost his father this week. Just pray, God, that you'll be with them as they... Uh, they will be celebrating his life, a, a life lived for the glory of God. And I just pray, God, that you'll be with their family. And now, Lord, as we move into the living word today, we just pray, God, that you would take these words, nothing in me, let nothing in me get in the way of what you want to say to us today, but that we would leave today changed because we've been in your presence and heard from your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been studying a book in the Bible called 1 Corinthians. We begin in February, February and we'll be completing this part of the study over the next three Sundays, actually at the end of February. I mean, the end of November. What month are we in? Okay. <laughs> 1 Corinthians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in that place called Corinth, a city in Greece during the first century AD. It was written to a group of people trying to live out their faith and practice their morals in a decadent and immoral society. In fact, Corinth was a lot like Eau Claire. And Paul writes to encourage them. He writes to teach them. And he, he writes to correct some of the practices in the church. In chapter 12, we saw the beginning of Paul's corrective of the Corinthians' misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. And if you take your outline out, there's a spiritual gifts definition at the top of that. And it's defined as spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit to every believer in the body of Christ when they are born again and to be used in according to God's design and grace within the context of the body. So these gifts that are given to every person who's a believer 
are given to be used in the context of God's family, which is his church, this church in particular. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, Paul affirms diversity. He says there ought to be a lot of diversity. And then he counsels unity. One of the hard things when you have a lot of diversity is having unity. In chapter 13, where we spent the last two Sundays, Paul speaks of how love transcends all the spiritual gifts and spiritual activity, that love is the foundation and the context in which all the spiritual gifts are to be exercised. And we took two Sundays on 1 Corinthians 13. Today, we're going to look at a study in contrasts. Study in contrasts. We're going to look at tongues and prophecy. Tongues and prophecy. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, it's on page 932 in the Bible, in the rack in front of you. We're going to start with just the first five verses. And by the way, um, I'm going to be going back to this passage if you want to keep your Bibles open. Uh, I refer to the passages as I go through this, this outline. And so the verses are listed there. So you may want to take time afterwards because we're going to cover a whole chapter today. Time afterwards to say, what was it that that verse said? And just look at that as we go. But we're going to read the first five verses and go from there. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the, the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now the church has this thing that they've done for a long time. When a church has a problem, they ban it. Okay? There's a problem with something, we, we ban it. We just ban it. Uh, uh, problem with alcohol, we ban alcohol. There are b bad movies out there, so you can't go to the theater. And by the way, you need to get rid of your television set, too. Someone has diabetes, we're going to outlaw and ban sugar from all of our church potlucks, okay? If there's a problem, we just ban it. It's much easier than everything's black and white, and everybody knows what to do, right? That's something that we do. Black and white is much simpler, and so we approach, as a church, we tend to approach things. Now, and there are black and white issues. There is right and wrong, but some of these issues that aren't as cut and dried, we tend to approach from black and white issues. Now, tongues is one of those things. It's, it, it's a problem. If it's a problem, do we ban tongues? And if you ban tongues, then it's not a problem anymore because you can't talk in tongues. You can't do anything with tongues, okay? And that's what the church historically has done. They just said... We're going to ban it or we're not going to talk about it. You go through this 1 Corinthians all the way through 13 and chapter 13 is read at weddings and all kinds of things. Then we get to 14, there's this big chasm nobody wants to talk about, tongues and prophecy, because it's weird, okay? It's too weird. We don't know what to do with that. So we just jump to 15 and celebrate the resurrection and go on, okay? That's what a lot of times we do. Well, Judy and I did ministry in Pentecostal and charismatic churches. Some of them, some of them not. In fact, my first senior pastor was described by someone as a mildly charismatic church. What does that mean? 
maybe you were mildly Lutheran, or maybe you were mildly Baptist, or mildly Catholic, or Presbyterian, were mildly Wesleyan. What does that mean? I, I had no idea what they meant, that meant. But, but basically what it meant is you don't want to get too excited, you don't want to be too radical, we just want to be mildly whatever, okay? Mildly Wesleyan. And then it's easier, if you don't understand something and it's problematic, it's easier to ban it. You just say, can't do that. It's black and white. It keeps it, it it's simple. Well, let me, let me just say something. If you don't have a charismatic or Pentecostal friend, you need to make one because they will help you understand some of their perspective on theology and life. Okay. Now, tongues was an issue back then. Obviously, it's a whole chapter on tongues and prophecy. Whole chapter. That's, that's, a, lot, that's a lot of space that's given to this. Tongues was an issue back then, and it's an issue today. Today. The first five verses of chapter 14 that we just read introduce the issue of tongues versus prophecy. And then the rest of it pretty much expands and illustrates this truth. Now, whether you've never heard of this, if you're visiting with us and you're going, this is a weird church, what are they doing talking about this? Or if you have never been concerned about this, or if you have been concerned, whatever, wherever you are today, I'm hoping that we can find some answers. We're not gonna find every answer, I try to answer every question in every sermon. You know that's not true. But we try to find answers, and we're gonna to try to do that today. Now, like anything else, whole volumes have been written about these issues of tongues and prophecy. But I think we can find a lot of answers in our time together today. And the reason I'm giving you the passages at the end of each, each point is that you can look at it and, and uh, on your own time and be able to find some answers or come up with additional questions for Pastor Damien, he'll answer them. <laughs> tongues defined, it's, it's written in your notes, the divine enablement to speak, worship, or pray in a language unknown to the speaker. Is that weird enough? Okay, that's weird. Divine enablement means that it is a supernatural endowment by the Holy Spirit, okay? This is supernatural stuff, it's spooky. Some people go, oh no, this is super, well, it's in the Bible and he talks about it, it's given by the, supernaturally by the Holy Spirit of God. The concern that he has is edification. Edification, first, first one in a, his concern is edification. Or was this practice of tongues, speaking in tongues, building up the church, was it doing good? Did it have positive results? Did it have positive results? The issue was intelligibility. Does everyone understand what is said? Paul's concern was that the worship service needed to be meaningful and helpful to everybody. So it wasn't like there's a group of people that just are clueless over here, these people know what's going on, no. It's, it's everybody needs to understand what's going on. The setting is corporate worship. This were, was the setting they had their worship services. We don't not know the size or the number of people in their worship services. They had house churches, they had other types of, of gatherings. We just know that it was, a, it was a group setting that they were talking about. And the context was love, love, okay? In other words, that was the bottom line. So all of the practice of these gifts, including tongues and prophecy, had to be operated for the good of everybody and out of love. Love and concern. Now we're going to look at nine facts about tongues, and I'll be reading various verses, some more than once to support these facts. Okay? And I hope we can get through this. This is a little bit more teaching than, than preaching, but let's, let's get into it. Okay, number one, tongues are an unknown language. 
tongues are an unknown language. It says in verse two, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Now this is different than if you studied Acts 2, and about two years ago we were looking at the book of Acts. Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, there were tongues that came out. It was the first time that we knew, and this, it was understood by the speaker, and it was given to the speaker in a known language. Now, it was, very diff it was a lot of different languages, but basically, you didn't need an interpretation. It was a known language. There was no interpretation required for understanding. Now, we cannot limit God and say there's only one kind of tongues. I mean, God can do what he wants, okay? Acts 2, is, it was something that was totally different than we find in 1 Corinthians, just totally different. With God the Holy Spirit performing these through people, anything is, anything's possible. The, acts in, in acts two, the tongues in Acts 2 were understood. The tongues in 1 Corinthians needed interpretation. Anything more than that is speculation. So tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, he gives them to each one just as he determines. In other words, God decides who gets these gifts. Now in some circles, we see this gift used and exercised. Other places we find this gift is absent. For whatever reason, it's, it's here at this location or this church, it's not here. Um, just as many people have spiritual gifts that are undeveloped, they're hidden, they're latent. It could be helps, wisdom, teaching, or administration. Some people have the gift of tongues and they've never used it. Not sure why. Tongues are, first of all, an unknown language. Number two, tongues are people speaking to God. We read in verse two, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So tongues is a language of the heart. It's of the spirit, and it's addressed to God. It's addressed to God. It's people to God. We'll talk about in a minute how this is a prophecy is God speaking to people. Tongues is people speaking to God. Very important distinction. As such, tongues is more prayer and praise, and it's more of a, of a private matter between people and their God, more of a private devotion. Gordon Fee says, here in particular, it is evident that for Paul, tongues is an expression of prayer and praise, not a word directed toward the community. We hear the phrase prayer language, tongues used privately. Some believe there are two types of tongues, private and public tongues. I disagree. My wife disagrees with me, though, and we're still married. But anyway, we, we, we'll never agree on everything, but some believe that there's one gift of tongues, one used publicly and privately. That's what I believe. It's one gift of tongues, and it's used publicly or privately. And as we see, if it's used publicly, it must be interpreted. Interpreted. But it's this tongue praising God. Acts 2.11 says we hear them declaring wonders of God in our own tongues. And in Acts, it's people to God. In Acts 10.46, they were speaking in tongues and praising God. It was always praise directed towards or worship of God. People to God, upward. You hear the, you hear the term message in tongues, which implies that God's going to give a message to somebody and speak in tongues and give it to us. That's a misnomer. That's a misnomer. The message in tongues is people to God. Some confuse prophecy with tongues, and I hope we lay that to rest today. Prophecy, again, is God speaking to people. Tongues is people to God. Number three, 
Tongues primarily edifies the speaker. Tongues primarily edifies the speaker. Verse 4 says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. The primary purpose of tongues, prayer and praise, is self-edification. Now, we all, we all need edification. Edification is not bad. It's not necessarily self-centered. Unless we're totally preoccupied with self-edification to the exclusion of the rest of the body, edification of self is, is positive. It's good. One writer states, the edifying of oneself is not self-centeredness, but the personal edifying of the believer that comes through private prayer and praise. Spiritual edification can take place in, in ways other than through the cortex of the brain. Those of us that are, like to have the intellect, we like to have the intellect engaged, and, and there are things that we do that, that bypass our cortex of the brain, and it's a spirit-to-spirit -spirit relationship with the living God. Paul believed in an immediate communing with God by means of the spirit that sometimes bypassed the mind. Sometimes we commune with God, and we... It's, it's spirit to spirit. It, it doesn't engage the mind. The building up of the community is the basic reason for corporate settings of worship. And they, he, Paul didn't want them to turn their public gathering of worshiping God into a, a thousand individual experiences of worship. He said There's, there are more important things right now. So tongues primarily edifies the speaker. Number four, tongues can edify the church when interpreted. If they're interpreted, they edify the church. Verse five, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Verse 13, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Some of you are saying this is too weird. That's okay, that's okay. It, it sounds strange. But others may have been in a corporate setting where that happened. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been in a setting where people spoke in tongues in one way or another. Um, it's, if it's done in order, it's, it's biblical, it's right, it's good, it's healthy. But it must be done in order. It can freak out first-time guests or seekers. So, so sometimes it's better to practice tongues in privacy or in small groups. Um, the Wesleyan Church... Uh, just as a matter of standard doctrine, just so you know, they, they believe in the use of all the gifts. They discourage the use of tongues in the public worship setting because of the cultural norms and what has happened in the past and history and all those other things. They don't forbid it, but it's one of those things where, where that it, it sometimes freaks people out. But it must be done in order. And sometimes it's best to be done privately or in small groups. Number five, in tongues, the mind is unfruitful. We read that in verse two and in verse 14. It says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So your, your spirit prays, but your mind is unfruitful. I utter mysteries. Those things lie outside the understanding of the speaker and even the hearer. But see, we're not to worship only with our intellect. It's not just about our intellect. Emotions are important, too. Emotions. Oh, what are those? What are those? Men ask, especially. Well, I grew up in a largely Norwegian denomination that was not very emotional to begin with. You know, if they got really excited, they would go, yeah. 
Some of you know, some of you have been doing that. I can see it. We didn't have a coat, we didn't have a coat check in the lobby. We had what, what was really called an emotions check. In other words, just leave your feelings outside. Don't bring your feelings into the public gathering. You know, that's, that's private. You, know, you never show your, your feelings. But imagine the sterility of love without emotions. Intellectual love with no physical affection or no emotional attention, uh, attachment. Some of you are saying you just described my husband or wife, whatever. Um, the Bible says we're to love God with our mind, our soul, and our heart. Our heart. We're to love God emotionally as well. And of course, depending on the culture you are in, some, you go to some gatherings and churches and they're just emotional all over the place and you go, what is wrong with this group? Then you go to other places, just dead quiet and, you know, different type of emotion. That's okay. But we are to worship God with our mind, soul, and our heart. And that means emotions. Yes, emotions, emotionally. And tongues are of the spirit, not of the mind. It's of the spirit. Paul affirms tongues, just so you know. Paul affirms tongues. He never disparages tongues. Never disparages tongues. Never outlaws it. Never says they're bad. He always affirms tongues. Number six, verse 28. Tongues are under the control of the speaker. Verse 28. Tongues are under the control of the speaker. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Speak to himself and to God. We should not think of tongues as a result of this irresistible impulse that, that drives people willy-nilly into some kind of ecstatic speech. The idea that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we can't control ourselves. No. Basically, if a person chooses to keep silent, it says, he may and should if there's no interpreter present. Perfectly legitimate. Perfect, or speak to yourself and to God. Speak quietly. You'll, you'll be in a, maybe be in a service where you hear people speaking in tongues or praying in the spirit or whatever that is, and there's this kind of hum around, but it's not this predominant sound. Perfectly in order, as long as it's in order. Number seven, tongues are to be evaluated. Verse 26 says, What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Okay, evaluated. Is what's happening in the church gathering setting, is it strengthening the church? Is it edifying the body of Christ? Is it doing positive? Is it, is it accomplishing something positive? If not, we need to look at that. Number eight, tongues is a good gift, or tongues are a good gift. How, you know, it's however you want to interpret that. Tongues, it's a good gift. 18 and 19, it's interesting. Paul says this. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he spoke in tongues a lot, okay? But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to, to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Five intelligible words instead of 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul says, I speak in tongues a lot. The, but the primary purpose is private, individual prayer and praise. People speaking to God. People speaking to God. Number nine, tongues sometimes brings confusion. Tongues sometimes brings confusion. Verse 23, 
So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Now we're really thoroughly confused. And again, you're saying this is a weird passage. It, it's different. I, I got, but let's move on. Sometimes it brings confusion. And if it's bringing confusion, we need to say, how do we put this in order? Let's move on. This is in our Bible. And our goal every Sunday is to learn what the Bible says. And this is in chapter 14. And again, I would encourage you, if you have questions, to, to look at the passages yourself and read them and, and, and what it says. And hopefully, it'll elucidate your mind as well. So that's tongues. Tongues. So let's look at prophecy. Prophecy. Prophecy is defined as, it's in your notes, the divine enablement to reveal truth and proclaim it in a timely and relevant manner for understanding, correction, repentance, or edification. Understanding, correction, repentance, or edification. The concern for this is edification. In other words, is it, is it doing good? Is, is this in order? Is it, is it, does it have a positive impact on the, on the church? The issue is superiority of prophecy over tongues. Superiority of prophecy over tongues. Five words in, in an understandable language, 10,000 words in a tongue. Nope, different. The setting, of course, is corporate worship, just like in tongues. Not individual prophecy sessions. We'll talk more about that later. And the context is love. Context is love. It's always about love. It's always there. So let's contrast this. Let's look at number one. Prophecy is a known language. Prophecy is a known language. Verse four says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 19, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others in 10,000 words in a tongue. Prophecy was spoken in the language of the hearers. It was easily understood. There's no interpretation necessary unless the person uses King James English, but that's a whole other thing. Prophecy is understandable. Number two, prophecy is God speaking to people. God speaking to people. Tongues, again, is people to God. Prophecy is God to people. It's God's revelation to people. Now, when we hear the word prophecy, we most often think of the predictive nature or future times, etc. And it does include that. But Manfred Brauch in Heart Sayings of Paul says, prophesying sometimes included this predictive element, but this aspect is neither exclusive nor is it primary. The prophets of Israel primarily addressed the word of God to their people's present reality. This was the primary aspect of the prophetic ministry in the early church and Christianity as well. Christians, Christians hearing the word of God. 1 Corinthians 11, talking about praying and prophesying, spoken about two characteristic aspects of Christians in worship. Prayer addressing the Lord, prophecy addressing the word of the Lord to worshipers. Prophecy is God's word to people. God's word to people. Now, the predictive part of that is God says, this is what you're to do. This is what you're to repent from and leave. This is what you're to do. If you don't do what I tell you to do, then this will happen. That's the future part of that. And sometimes there are future fulfillments as well. There are warnings. There, there's repent, return, obey. There's a call to holiness and forsaking idolatry. 
talking about impending consequences if the people did not repent and return to God. Foretelling future events, primarily the results of not returning or turning and repenting. Again, prophecy is very complex and it's multidimensional. A lot of times there's an immediate fulfillment and then there are future fulfillments of the same prophecy. But the primary role today in our world of prophecy is speaking forth God's word, the word of God. And many times this happens, in, I hope, in the pulpit where you're speaking forth the word of God, teaching and preaching. There's also spontaneous or direct revelation where God reveals himself to people directly. It's always God's revelation to himself, of himself to people. The first century church did not have the whole canon of scripture. They didn't have a well-developed leadership structure. And sometimes prophecy more often was spoken, but sometimes it was in written form. Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah to write these prophecies down and present them to Zedekiah, who is the king of Israel. So prophecy can be spoken, it can be written, but it's God's word spoken or written to the present reality of who we are and where we are at this time. Number three, prophecy edifies the church. Prophecy edifies the church. We read that everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their, their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Edification means building up, encouragement, comfort. We live in a world and culture that tears us down. We talked about the fact that we hear bad news all the time. We desperately need to hear from God. We desperately need to hear from God. It, it, basically, the things in the world destroy our moral values, take away our sense of comfort and peace. Prophecy is there to build us back, to encourage us, and to comfort us. Why is it so important for us to be in church every Sunday? Why? We need it. We need the word of God to our hearts. We've got to hear not only the, the correction, but also the exhortation, the encouragement that this is what God says. We need to hear where we need to improve and grow and allow God to make changes, but we need to hear what God is willing and able to do for us or what he's already done for us. It's like celebrating communion today. We're celebrating what God has done for us. So prophecy edifies you, the church. In prophecy, the mind is engaged, number four. In prophecy, the mind is engaged. Intellect is engaged. Verses 14 and 15 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. I will also pray with my mind. I will sing in my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. Teaching and learning. Paul isn't arguing for barren intellectualism. There's a place for fervor and emotions expressed. And prophecy gives that intellectual stimulation and that communication that tongues does not provide because our mind has to be engaged. Paul validates the spirit and the mind in that. In authentic worship, there, we must have a balance between thought and feeling because our relationship with God includes both thoughts and feelings, our minds and our emotions. There's a balance here. There's a balance. Both human intellect and emotion are used. One writer says, it's a shame to waste all of our tears on plots of soap operas. 
All are shouting for a basketball game and all are enthusiasm for the latest toy and then come into the presence of the creator and sustainer of life without expressing our deep feelings of awe, of reverence, of unworthiness, and of thankfulness. That's why we, we like to stand and clap and, and express our thankfulness and gratitude and, and so that we can do that. I know that you probably get more excited when Aaron Rodgers throws a touchdown pass. I, I don't know, but shouldn't we get more excited about what God has done? It's a lot more personal, you know, unless, you, unless you're at the game or you have a lot on the game or whatever. This is a lot more significant, what happens here. And, and getting engaged, and part of that is cultural, part of it is we're pretty self-conscious. That's, that's one reason, by the way, that we bring the lights down so we can kind of be a little less inhibited when we're here, so that we can, we can focus and worship, worship God. Number five, prophecy is preferred to tongues. Prophecy is preferred to tongues. We read that in verse one, especially desire spiritual gifts, the gift of prophecy. Verses 18 and 19, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. I'd rather do five words, etc. Again, Paul affirms and he encourages tongues, but he elevates prophecy above tongues. The, what was the problem? Uh, the Corinthians elevated tongues. Remember when I explained to that, that those who were in the pagan culture, in the pagan religion, closest to the gods, tended to have this ecstatic speech. And so if somebody had this ecstatic speech, they were considered closest to the gods. And so when people came to Christ and Christianity was here and there was an ecstatic speech, the tongues, they said, oh wow, they must be closer to God. So they elevated tongues as the most important gift. And Paul said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. There are more important things. And find balance, make sure that it's love, make sure that it's done in order. And he brought balance to this, this whole issue. Gordon Fee says, the crucial question is not whether one speaks in tongues or not, but what is the appropriate in the assembly? Heretofore, one may only suspect that Paul was making distinctions between private devotion and public worship. And this sentence makes it explicit. The contrasts are, in the church, five intelligible words are to be preferred to 10,000 words in a tongue. So prophecy, prophecy is preferred. Number six, prophecies to be examined. Verse 29 says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Today we have the word of God, the Bible, to measure against. If somebody says this is what the Lord is saying to us, we measure it up with the word of God and we say, oh, not so fast. Or we say, yeah, that does not contradict scripture. If it is prophecy that contradicts scripture, it's rejected and is false. I was at a conference Judy and I were at a conference, and there was a speaker, I'll even tell you his name, there were about 5,000 people at this conference, and a gentleman named Morris Cirillo got up, and, uh, and he said his first words out of his mouth is, put away your Bibles and open up your spirit. Put away your Bibles and open up your spirit. Oh my goodness, I grabbed my Bible so fast, and what he was saying was really off. It was a total misinterpretation. It was just horrible. But some people want to say they're above Scripture. Or just put away the Bible. Let me just speak to you. about if, And if it contradicts the Word of God, it's wrong. Prophecy is to be examined. And let me just say this. I know you think that I'm educated and I know what I'm talking about all the time. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't understand. <laughs> um, 
You need to constantly examine whatever anybody says from this pulpit. Whatever anybody says on television preaching or anybody on internet, whatever, measure it against the word. Prophecy, someone who says, this is what the word of God says, this is what God says. You measure it, you are to examine it. Don't just mindlessly say, oh, Pastor Mark said it. No, no. Make sure it's from the word of God. Otherwise, we get into trouble. That's how all kinds of nonsense starts. Prophecy is to be examined. Number seven, prophecy is under the speaker's control. Verse 32, verse 32 says, the spirits of the prophet are subject to the control of the prophets. Prophecy is not ecstatic, uncontrolled, or uncontrollable speech. Number eight, prophecy brings conviction, repentance, and salvation. Conviction, repentance, and salvation. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand, this is verse 24, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, Prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare, so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. There's power in the word of God, no matter what form it takes. And when an unbeliever comes into a church service, prophecy is happening, the proclamation of the world, word, they will be convinced, convicted, and judged or called into account. This is the, the work of the Word of God in probing our, our human spirit and convicting us of sin and helping us understand that we have an account before God. We're accountable to God. We become exposed before the living God through the prophetic word, and when we are exposed, we are called to repent. Another word used earlier is examination, disclosed or discern. It, 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 the, the secrets of the heart are to be laid bare. The emphasis is on the revelation nature of prophecy and it exposes the innermost heart. It exposes our hearts. That's what prophecy does. That's what the word of God does for all of us. No wonder the Corinthians, one writer says, no wonder the Corinthians preferred tongues. It, it not only gave them a sense of being more spiritual, it was safer. <laughs> See, when you get prophecy, the word of God comes, it's, it's whoa, whoa. The result of this exposure before God is conversion. He'll fall down and worship God. Now, prophecy by itself is not the evidence of God's presence, but it's the powerful revealing work of the Holy Spirit that convicts people of sin and leads to repentance and transformation. Let me say that again. Prophecy by itself is not the evidence of God's presence, but the powerful revealing work of the Holy Spirit that convicts people of sin and leads to repentance and transformation. If all we hear are nice platitudes and isn't God nice and isn't he good, if it doesn't lead to repentance and conviction and transformation, something's wrong. That's why when the word of God is truly being preached, we ought to be convicted, we ought to repent. We ought to be transformed. The word of God is that transformative process. Love God, love people, be transformed. Transformation, it, it, it changes lives. Now let me, let me just talk in, uh, for a minute about personal prophecy. You may have heard of stuff like this or experienced it. Today prophecy is considered by some as the gift of the spiritual elite. If you're really spiritually elite, you have this gift of prophecy. And sometimes they will practice spontaneous, direct revelation speaking from God. Say, I have a message of God, from God, for you, okay? Now that happens, 
Um, basically, the prophet Nathan had a message for David. It's happened in the Old Testament, it happens today, where someone says, I believe God has a message for you, and it's a personal prophecy. Problem is people tend to elevate these prophets and, and have a desire for their own personal prophet and their own personal prophecy. In some ways, people that desire their own personal prophet or prophecy, it's like wanting your own Christian fortune teller. It's a real danger, real danger. And some of them practice it that way. I have a word for you, and it's, it's usually, usually nothing more than obvious biblical truth. So be careful. Doesn't mean it's invalid, but, but watch the person's life, because if someone says, I, I, I have a personal prophecy for you, just, just weigh it. Just weigh it and be very careful. Seek counsel. God does that, just like he does the word of God to the groups of people and to nations and to congregations. But when it's personal prophecy, just be careful. Time out. Be careful. The prophecy should always draw attention to God. And don't confuse prophecy with a word of knowledge or a word of encouragement. Because sometimes somebody has a word of knowledge and God's revealed something to, to them about you that, that needs encouragement or correction. That's, that, that can be a word of knowledge, not necessarily prophecy. Maybe it's a word of encouragement that you needed. So it can be any one of those things. But remember, it always points to God. If somebody comes up and says, I have a word for you, or thus saith the Lord, or God told me, that is just a yellow flag, just a caution when it comes to prophecy. On the back of your notes, and I'll have this up there too as well, there is a contrast between tongues and prophecy. Just a real quick summary. Tongues, unknown language, prophecy is a known language. Tongues comes from the spirit, prophecy in the mind. Tongues is people speaking to God. Prophecy is God speaking to people. In tongues, it edifies the speaker. In prophecy, it edifies the church. It can edify, tongues can edify the church if interpreted, but prophecy, there's no interpretation needed. Both tongues and prophecies are under the speaker's control, and we're called, both of us, on all of those things to examine the tongue or the prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, the last two verses, we're going to close with this before we go to communion. It says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Speak in tongues. Prophecy is to be performed. Do all things in order. Is it intelligible? Does it edify? And does it express the bottom line? Love. That's the question. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives us guidelines and you don't leave us without direction. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to teach us your word. Thank you that you, you don't say, okay, uh, this is too hard to understand, we're gonna leave it out of the Bible. Or you don't say, uh, we're gonna let you ignore this, we're gonna just make this all right or all wrong or whatever. Just thank you, Lord, that you give us guidelines. And you call us to be intelligent, Bible-believing, spirit-led believers who will process things. 
we won't just shut the door on this or shut the door on that, but we will process and say, God, how is it that you want us to operate? What are, what are my gifts that you've given me? And how can I be used to, to glorify you and edify this church, the body of Christ? And I pray, Lord, today that as we remember what you've done for us, that we would again recall the incredible sacrifice that you made so we could have life and life abundant. And we thank you in Jesus' name. We're going to go to the time of communion, and, and uh, you don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, could be your first time here. If you know Jesus, you can come up and take communion. We invite people to come walking down the center aisle and take the elements and carry them back to where you were seated, seated on the outside aisle and back, and then just take the communion elements as, as you're ready to do that. Again, examining your heart and saying, God, is there anything in me that you need to uh, draw attention to before I partake of, uh, of the bread and the juice today? And so we're going to do that, and we'll be singing in worship. The worship team will lead us, and uh, we'll go in just a minute. Let me read 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Those of you that need gluten-free bread, that's at the back table back there. So you come and we'll continue worshiping. Can we be seated for just a moment? Just a couple things to remind you of. Next Sunday, Dr. Terry Law will be here. He's going to be speaking in our morning service. Um, basically, Dr. Law has been sent to minister among closed countries of the world and places where most of us never could go, even if we tried. And God has given him this courage and this favor uh, in places in the Middle East, places in, the, in Asia. And he's going to be here next Sunday to share uh, what God has led him to do. So just excited to have him here. He was here two years ago, and uh, you'll remember that. So uh, please come prepared. Invite friends if you'd like to. Uh, the, the, the insert is inside your program, so you can use that for an inviting tool as well. Also, just to, uh, to remind you, our Thanksgiving celebration is coming up two weeks from today. Two weeks from today. And uh, notice on that. And... Uh, and please, people, um, I just, I prayed for Pastor Dan Bickle. Pastor Dan Bickle's father had a heart attack on Friday and passed away uh, later that day. The family was able to get there down in Muncie, Indiana, and uh, uh, they were able to be with, with his father at that point in time. So that is, there's a demonized bee around here or something. But please, please pray for Pastor Dan and in uh, the family. Um, the service is going to be next Thursday from there. So, also please remember in prayer the uh, the Girl Scouts who were uh, who were who lost their lives this this week on the highway doing community service. Uh, and so, just a huge tragedy. But please, just remember in prayer. And 
Ask God what he would have you do uh, in the middle of that. So uh, let's stand and be dismissed with uh, the benediction, shall we? Oh, no, we're going to do, do us another song. What? Oh, do we have that video? <laughs> that face says it all. Don't forget.